0: Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. It's Christmas time at Meadowbrook, and we are jumping into some Christmas teaching for the next number of weeks. And the church is starting to look Christmassy, which is nice. And we have our banquet tonight, and there's tons of people who have been setting up the sanctuary, setting up the tables, decorating the tables, cooking the food. Uh, people here all day yesterday, and so if you see anybody along those lines, please make sure to say thank you because they've been working hard uh, this last week for you and for us as we come together. So we are excited, and we hope you'll join us tonight for the baptism at four, and then the dinner at 5:30. And we have been in a series this fall on spiritual warfare, which we have come to an end. We have wrapped that up, and we are going to be in Christmas stuff, obviously in Christmas season. And just as we do that, I mentioned last week, I'm a bit relieved, to be honest, just because that was a bit of a heavier series. There was a lot to it. There was a lot of moving parts. And uh, we said last week, we're just ready for some baby Jesus. Amen? At this point, just uh, sing some carols and and really reflect on the season and take some time. But I have one more warfare thought I want to share with you before we jump into that, and that is... The picture of Jesus in the manger uh, is often presented as, you know, baby Jesus, meek and mild, uh, and, and the innocence of a baby, and the purity of a baby, and it is all of those things. But theologians have also called this birth the great invasion, because the world was crippled by sin, it was crippled by the devil, it was shrouded in darkness, and in the Christmas story, as Jesus is born, this is where heaven takes steps to win creation back, This is heaven landing on earth, very literally, in order to redeem it and restore it. And so, although it is all of the nice sort of pastoral pictures of Christmas that we might think of, C.S. Lewis also put it this way. Enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage where we push the darkness back. And it all starts at Christmas. It starts with Jesus being born. Heaven has invaded earth. And so where we're going to be for the next uh, few weeks, uh, for the next few Sundays, is we're going to do a little mini-series that we're calling Christ in the Carols. And we're going to take some time, actually, to look at a different carol, Christmas carol, each week, and unpack it and look at some of the lyrics and some of the scripture that backs up those lyrics. And through that, get to know Jesus a little bit better as we look at the lyrics of these carols. So today's sermon is called called Hark and we're spending some time uh, looking at the carol Hark the Herald Angels Sing and we'll do a different carol each week and we just want to take some time reflecting on these lyrics and taking some time to see what scripture connects with these lyrics and let it teach us about Jesus a little bit and there's something about these old songs. I love the hymns of the church personally and so the song that we sang this morning Hark the Herald Angels Sing was written in 1739 so it's an old one and it has been I mean it's coming up on 300 years almost and it was written by Charles Wesley who was an Englishman, one of the great hymn writers of the church, and uh, I I really respect that period of church history because they really saw their music as a way to not just worship and glorify God, because the Bible says, sing a song and make music and make a joyful noise to the Lord, and so that's why we do that, because the Bible tells us to sing to God, but they said, we're not just going to do that, we're also going to use that as a way to teach and as a way to share the scripture, because uh, if we're being honest, if you think of how many sermons you've heard in the last year and And how many times uh, you've read a, a Christian book, maybe, or heard a podcast or whatever. How much of that do you have memorized based on all the stuff that you've heard? But a song has a way of kind of getting stuck in your head. Right? Song lyrics can be easier to remember than, say, memorize John chapter 1 in the Gospels. And so they saw this as this great, amazing opportunity where we can not only worship and glorify God, but we can actually teach as we do that, and we can share Scripture in a way that's really going to be memorable and easy to understand, and we can do this in a way that's really going to stick in people's hearts. And so uh, the, the hymns of the church, they have this incredible richness to them and depth to them uh, where it's not just about glorifying. God, but it's about instructing us according to the scripture and showing God's word in a way that's really easy to to grasp and remember. And so the carols are this. These are songs written about Jesus being born, and they take time not just to help us glorify God, but to teach us as well. And so we're going to look into some of that teaching today. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Hopefully you're there, page 1027 in the Pew Bible. And this is the passage of scripture, obviously, that Hark the Herald Angels Sing is based on. So there are multiple Christmas carols that come out of this passage, but Hark the Herald Angels Sing is one of them. And so uh, we're going to just walk through some of the lyrics of the song we just sang. One of the downsides of a nearly 300-year-old song is that we don't always necessarily connect with the language, because it might be a bit dated, or they might use words that we don't really use anymore. And so we're going to not hit every single lyric of the song, but we're going to hit some of the main parts uh, and bring some scripture to bear against it and learn something about Jesus and what he's done for us as we go through this. Together, So we begin with a hark. Who uses hark in their regular vocabulary day by day? It's a good word. It's obviously dated. We don't use it a lot. Hark, the herald angels sing. Herald is anyone who's bringing good news. So hark, there are angels bringing good news right now. Glory to the newborn king. They're announcing that Jesus has been born. And that word hark, again, we don't really use it too much in our modern vocabulary, but we call the sermon hark uh, because it's the first line of the song. And Xavier does such a good job. He puts these pictures together for us with our sermon titles. And hark is something that means listen, but it's a bit more than that. It's, there's a, there's a, an intensity to it. It's not just, hey, listen, I want to share you know, how my day went with you. It's, it's pay attention. Something big is happening. Big news on the way. Hark. Pay attention. Snap to attention. Turn your ears in. There is something big happening. And so it's pay attention to what these angels are saying. And and listen intently to the message they are bringing. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Pay attention to that. And so there's a, there's a bit more intensity than just, hey, you want to chat? i got a story to tell you. It's no, no, no. Something big is happening. And so the, the good news angels are there, and they are telling us a story that we need to hearken to. We need to pay attention to. And anytime a baby is born, most parents probably feel that way, right? It's just my baby's born, so hey, social media. Hey, Facebook. Hey, everyone on my email list. Hey, everybody I meet in the hall of the hospital. Hey, everybody I meet on the street, i got a baby born. It's exciting, and we want to share. And yet this is so much bigger than that because in this text that we've read today, it's not just that a baby has been born. It's a baby has been born who is so important that heaven actually breaks out into earth in this moment. There is something of that veil that is taken away between the visible and the invisible and heaven just explodes in this worship in a way that these shepherds actually get to see face to face. And this message of you guys need to get to Bethlehem right now because there's a game changer of all game changers that just happened. You guys need to go and and take this in. You need to go and pay attention to what we're saying. So the hark comes with an urgency that says, listen to what is happening. Jesus being born is not just any baby being born. It's not just a, a kingly baby that's been born. It's that there's something that has happened here that is actually the turning point of all history as heaven invades earth in a very real way and as Jesus, the promised one, comes and is finally born. Peace on earth and mercy mile. That's the message of the angels as they sing. There's peace on earth, goodwill to men. Uh, there's, there's a mildness to the way God is coming. God is not coming with thunderbolts in glory on the clouds. God is coming in the mildest way possible, actually, in a baby. What's less threatening than a baby? Right, You're not fearful of a baby. God has come in the, the mildest way he could, the most merciful way he could. God and sinners reconciled. And this is the gospel. This is the point of all of it. That the Bible says we have all fallen short. We have all sinned. We have all turned to our own way, Isaiah wrote. We've all gone astray like sheep. We have wandered off to our own path. We have said in one way or another, God, I don't need you. I don't need your ways. I don't need to obey your word. I don't need to acknowledge you in my life. In one way or another, we have all done that. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Scripture says. And with that, the relationship has been broken. The relationship has been, has been severed between the perfectly holy God who loved us and created us, and our selfishness by which we said, I'm going to go do my own thing. I don't need you at all. And so that relationship got broken. And yet, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. The gospel, the goodness, everything good that Jesus has given to us in his death, his resurrection, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This message isn't just for us, it's to share with others. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Well, that's good news to not have our sins counted against us by God, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. God and sinners reconciled is the song lyrics, is that where we were distant from him, where that relationship was broken, God is the one by his initiation, by his action, by his power to set that thing right again. We didn't do anything. We didn't earn it. We can't make it happen that God, because he loved us so much, decided, I am going to fix this relationship. I will reconcile you to me. And then through Jesus has done that. And the prodigal son, which is pictured here, is such a beautiful story of that. And in that parable that Jesus told, there is a son who basically curses his father and says, I'm going to do my own thing. And he abandons home and he goes and he lives the life that he wants to live. And it's a sinful life. It's a selfish life. And he finds himself in shambles because our sin and our selfishness can never bring us the happiness and wholeness that we look for. And so he is in a distant country, the Bible says, and he is broke and his life has fallen apart. And he has this idea that maybe if I go back to my father, even though I've dishonored him, even though I've cursed him, even though I've turned my back on him and told him I don't need him, maybe if I go and beg for mercy, he'll let me be a servant in his house. Maybe I can eat the scraps at his table. Maybe he'll be good enough to let me do that. And so he travels home, and and I'm sure rehearsing his speech the whole way What are you going to say to your father? And as Jesus tells the story, the father saw him when he was a long way off. The father saw him in the distance and ran to him and threw his arms around him and said, we need to have a party right now because my son was dead and now he's come back to life. He was lost. My son is now found. He was willing to reconcile back that relationship that was broken because that's what love looks like. And the Bible says that God is love. And the gospel message is this is available to anyone. The door is open to come home for everybody. And God has made that happen. I listened to a preacher this week, and he said, Jesus loves us. We know that, even just intellectually. The Bible's very clear. Jesus loves us. He said, I have given him many, many, many reasons to not love me anymore, and never once have I been able to change his mind. His love is just too big. God and sinners have been reconciled. So, joyful, all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. This scene that we have just read about in Luke 2 of a sky full of angels glorifying God. Join in with that song. Join in the triumphant song. And it's not just for uh, a few shepherds. It's not just for some, some wise men in the story. It's not just for Mary and Joseph. All nations are invited to be a part of this. Everybody is invited back home. It is not something that is limited. Through your Bible, as you read your Bible, you'll see in the Old Testament, God is dealing primarily with Israel. Not entirely, but almost exclusively in the Bible, God is dealing with Israel. He is the God of Israel. He is the strength of Israel. And the promise is given to Israel. And Israel, the Jewish people, are his chosen people. And through Israel, it is promised that the Messiah will come. And so God deals with Israel, and yet woven throughout the Old Testament, there are these snapshots, pictures here and there, where even though God's the God of Israel, even though they are his chosen people, yet there is this sense of, oh, there's something actually way bigger being worked out here. God is the God of Israel, but he actually is going to work something out for the whole world. He's actually not concerned only with Israel. He wants to redeem all of it. He wants all the nations to come back. He wants all people to come back. And where the Bible makes a distinction between Jew and Gentile, with the Jewish people being the people of that race who are the chosen people of God, and then Gentiles being just anyone who's not Jewish, so most of us are probably Gentile, that God has this plan not just for one group, not just for one time, but he wants the whole world. He wants all of it. He wants all of it restored and saved and redeemed. Paul would say this in Romans fifteen twelve. He's actually quoting a prophecy from Isaiah said, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. Jesse was the father of King David, and the prophecies said that there would be one who came from David's kingly line, who would be the savior of, of everything. And so even though there were many kings in that line, they never ruled beyond Israel. They never ruled the nations in any way. There was this hope that one was going to come, and he was going to be lord over all of it. And so God has this plan that includes Israel very much. But it's not just that. Everybody is invited. Jesus is actually Lord over everything. And so joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumphs of the skies. All nations are invited to this gospel. All nations are invited to come home. All nations are invited to join in this song of the angels that are singing around the throne. With angelic hosts proclaim... Christ is born in Bethlehem. Join in with this song that they are singing. Make that same proclamation in your life. We are invited to sing with them. And we talked about angels in our last series a little bit, how they are created by God to worship God and serve God and to serve us as humanity. And one of the things that the angels do, we see in Scripture, is worship we get got these pictures in Isaiah and in Revelation where there are angels around the throne of God. And the Bible says that day and night, 24-7, non-stop, they never stop singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The angels in his presence just can't stop worshiping his glory. And we are invited to participate in that worship with them. Join in the song that they sing that Jesus has been born. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. We see even in this passage uh, where the highest heavens are adoring him, the angels are all adoring him. They are inviting us to come and participate in that with them. But again, not just a baby, Christ the everlasting Lord. Lord. Colossians 1.17 says Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. We don't believe that this is just a good man, a righteous man, a holy man, a prophet, or even just a savior. We believe that this is God in the flesh. This is Lord of all things. This is the one who is eternally before all things, who holds all things together, who rules over creation. This is the one who has somehow miraculously, amazingly just been born in this little baby in bethlehem he is the one that we worship and so it's appropriate when people come to to see jesus they are acknowledging him not just as a special baby they are acknowledging him as the lord late in time behold him come offspring of a virgin's womb and and the late in time part is because israel had been waiting a long time they had been waiting for thousands of years for the messiah to come and from the very beginning, we talked about this back in the summer. That when, uh, if you look at the book of Genesis, when man falls into sin for the first time, and right away God says, "I have a plan to fix this. Someone's going to be born of this woman, and, and she'll crush or he'll crush the head of the serpent, and he will make everything right." And so, if from then Israel had been waiting, and prophecies would come saying a savior is coming, and then they would wait. And another prophet would come and say, a savior is coming, and they would wait. And another prophet and another prophet. For thousands of years, they are waiting. And so late in time, behold him come. It's, it's people of God you have been waiting and, waiting and 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 waiting. And now, finally, the promise is being fulfilled. And it's the reminder of the God who always keeps his promises. Where scripture says, God's not slow in keeping his promises. We might think he's slow, But this is the God for whom a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. He's on a timeline that we're not comprehending at all. He's looking on the scope of eternity, which we can't do. And in our lives, when we are waiting for a promise to be fulfilled, God will be faithful to fulfill the promise because he has to. He's faithful. That's his name. His name is faithful and true. And our job is to persevere and to patiently wait and to do certainly the things that we're supposed to do. But Israel had been waiting and waiting and waiting. Finally, behold him come. You've been waiting for thousands of years. It's here. The promised one has finally arrived. Offspring of a virgin's womb. And this is key and has always been key to the Christian faith. Isaiah had prophesied in Isaiah 7:14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And that has been the early testimony of the church from the very beginning, and in the Apostles' Creed, as they began to sort of formalize their theology, the virgin birth is in there, and there is something about that that is important to how this all unfolds, where uh, the Bible says that because we are all descendants of Adam, we have all descended from that that first sin, uh, sometimes called the doctrine of original sin, that we have sort of inherited that that sinfulness, that that just because we are born, uh, we have that in us, that desire to want to wander away from God and do our own. Thing and so somehow in this miraculous, incredible thing, which has never been seen before or done before, Jesus misses that inherited thing that gets passed down from Adam, and, and there's this, this purity there that happens instead, and it's a tricky one. I have talked to you know even devout Christians who say, ah, oh, it's kind of hard to believe. The virgin birth. That's, that's a tricky one to get your heads around. And it is. It legitimately is. I don't think it's any more tricky than God becoming flesh or rising from the dead. But all of these things are things that we trust by faith. As we trust in the authority of God's word and what the Holy Spirit reveals to us, we trust that God can do whatever he wants. And we put our hope in that. But I'll just add this in a kind of practical sense. Is that for the Jewish people, the idea of a literal virgin birth would have been a bit of a tricky one. Because what was drilled into them was, hey, man and woman come together, and it's this picture of God and the perfection of the sexes coming together and and two flesh becoming one and conceiving a child and procreating. And and that was this ingrained of how God had designed everything. And there were other myths and fables out there at the time about virgin births with Greek gods and different things. And so, you know, it was not necessarily a super popular thing that you want to put in your book if you're writing your Gospels, to try and convince people that Jesus is Lord and you should follow him. In the world that you lived in at the time, if you wanted to make the Jesus message more palatable, you wouldn't put anything in there about a virgin birth. You'd leave it out. It's really bad PR if you're trying to win people over. And so the only reason to put that in there is if you absolutely, from your soul, believe that that is the truth. You put that in there because God has revealed something to you or because you've personally witnessed something or heard from people who personally witnessed it. And so we trust the virgin birth because as these guys wrote this story to try and convince people about Jesus, they put it in there, even knowing that it would be tricky for some people to get their heads around. They put it in there anyway. So I trust they did that because they knew that there was truth in this. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. And we don't use the word incarnate a lot in our day-to-day life necessarily. But Christmas, we sometimes talk about what is called the incarnation. That's the theological word for the Christmas story. And it literally means the embodying or the enfleshing. And the Bible says that God is spirit by his nature. But in Jesus, God becomes embodied. He takes on a human form. He takes on flesh. He becomes veiled in flesh. And as that happens, the Godhead, which is a fancy way of saying just God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, that as Jesus is born and God takes on flesh, we get to see the Godhead clearer than we've ever seen it before. Where in the past, before Jesus, we had prophets, and they would come and speak on behalf of God, and they would come to share us a picture of God, and they would come to talk to us about God. But in Jesus, we actually just have God there, right in front of us for the first time. We have God there as clear as he can possibly be, incarnate, the deity, God the deity has enfleshed, incarnated himself. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, Jesus, the son, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus gives us the perfect picture of what God is like. And you've heard me say before, if you want to get to know God better, you don't need to look any further than Jesus. And where the Bible's a big book and it can be complicated, and especially if we're new to this and we don't really know where to start or how to navigate it, it's really easy. Just start with Jesus. Jesus shows us what God is like. The words Jesus speaks are the words of God. And the actions that Jesus takes are the actions of God. In Jesus, we see the heart of God. We see the mind of God. We see the wisdom of God. We see the will of God. In Jesus, we see God in the flesh, incarnate, embodied. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead seed. Now that God has veiled himself in this human body, we get to see God clearer than we have ever seen him before. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. There are streams of the church that focus a lot on uh, just how bad we are as people. Right? Just we are sinful. We are dirty. We are filthy. We are, are, are angering to God. We are, uh, you know, what a worm am I? There used to be a hymn that the church used to sing. It's very encouraging and uplifting on a Sunday morning. Um, you know, there are, there are streams that emphasize that. And the thing is, they're not wrong. Those things are in the Bible. We can make God angry with our sin. And, and we can't earn anything. Scripture says our righteousness is like filthy rags. Like even our best efforts aren't as pure as a holy God. And we can't earn our way to heaven. We can't uh, earn our way into God's love. The Bible does say those things. It's just that's not all the Bible says. Because where the Bible says you can't earn it, like that on its own can be maybe depressing or, or heavy. The good news is you don't have to earn it. He's not expecting you to earn it. He's given you it as a gift instead. And where we are sinful, we are promised we'll be forgiven and transformed. And where we can make God angry, the Bible talks way more about his mercy and his grace and his love. So we can't ignore some of that hard stuff, but we also shouldn't emphasize it beyond what Scripture emphasizes. And so when we talk about pleased as man with men to dwell, we need to understand that that is saying that Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to come and walk among us. And if we're that horrible, why would he do that? if he didn't love us so much that he was willing to come and be with us and and live our experience and suffer as we suffer and, and struggle as we struggle and live every experience of the human life just as we live and experience it, face all the difficulties that we face, he was pleased to do that. It pleased him because we pleased him. We, he loved us so much that he was willing to come and dwell among us. Jesus, our Emmanuel. And you've heard me say before, that's my favorite name for Jesus, actually. Of all the names that Scripture gives him, I love the name Emmanuel because it means literally God with us. That God has come down with us. That God has walked with us. That God has suffered with us. That God has even experienced death with us. That God has struggled with us, that God has persevered with us, that God has been here with us. And even as Jesus has returned to heaven, he has sent his Spirit, who is God with us now. And so we are not alone in any of this. God is with us as we live this life. So hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. We've talked already of Jesus coming from heaven. The Prince of Peace is one of the names Scripture gives him. The Son of Righteousness comes from uh, Malachi 4.2 in the King James, and it's sun as in the sun in the sky, not sun as in the Father, Son, and Spirit. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and that's the King James Version, and by wings, it means uh, the rays of the sun in the Old English. That's what it's talking about. So the sun of righteousness rises, and its rays are healing. It's not literally talking about flapping wings. And so the sun of righteousness, one of the names given to Jesus, and uh, what a great picture that this is something that rises on us. This is is something that is always there. This is something that sustains us. We can't live without the sun, all right? We can't eat without it. We can't be warm without it. The sun is always there, always constant, and there is something about sitting in the sun on a summer day that is healing for your soul. There is something about it that's even good for your body. I found out last winter I was vitamin D deficient. Um, And I didn't know that was a thing, but it is. And so I need to spend more time in the sun, I was told, because it's healing to my body, and it it restores me. Um, And so the the sun rises, and and this picture of Jesus as just this big, radiant, glorious thing that is constantly there, that is faithful. You don't have to wonder if the sun's gonna rise tomorrow. It definitely will. Even in the dark times, however dark life is, you know the sun is coming up again. All of these great pictures of the constancy and the faithfulness faithfulness of God. The Son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And that ties into the next lyrics, that light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. And again, wings there meaning in the old English, the rays of the sun that come and bring life and light to all of us. Jesus comes to bring that light. He comes to bring us that picture of who God is. He comes to show us the way to heaven. Jesus makes it so clear. He says there's one way to get to heaven. We sang that this morning. There's one way to get there, and it's not a, a religious strategy it's not a program of things you need to accomplish it's not a list of hoops you got to jump through there's one way to get to heaven jesus says and it's me trust me and follow me that is the way to heaven and as we do that light and life are given to us and that's the same offer that he brings to all of us in john 8:12, jesus said i am the light i am the light of the world Right, I am the one from before and will last forever. I am the one holding everything together. I am the one. I am it. I am the light. And so he's the one that we look to. He's the one who guides us. He's the one who reveals things to us. He's the one we put our hope in. And yet, Jesus would also say in Matthew's gospel, you are the light of the world. He would say, I'm the light of the world. He would say, you are the light of the world. And so we have a part to play in this now where we have experienced this light. We now go out and share that light with other people. We are the ones who tell the story about Jesus in our lives. And at the baptism tonight, you're going to hear some awesome stories of what Jesus has done in people's lives. And so we are the ones who share him. And if we don't, who will? It is our job, our mission as the church to go out and to to have our own hark, our own, hey, I've got a story for you. There's something in my life that I want you to pay attention to. There is something that I want to show you, that I want to teach you about Jesus and who he is. So we have a part to play in this as well. Mild, he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Mild, again, he comes as a baby. And where pictures of God in the Old Testament are uh, sometimes terrifying, right? God in all of his glory, God in in all of his might. We are told in the Old Testament, no mortal can look at God. You'll die. It's just that's how big and great and glorious he is. Sinful man just cannot possibly uh, bridge that gap. And so he comes in the most, like, what is less threatening than a little cute little baby, little chubby cheeks and diapers? That's not scary, Diapers are scary. I remember scary diapers along the way. But mild he comes. He comes in the the softest, gentlest way to approach us so we can get to know him better. He lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. A theological term is kenosis, which is the Greek word for emptying. Uh, this idea that Jesus has, has emptied himself of something. In order to be great, big, glorious, you know, kill you if you look at me, God, with all of his power and might and authority and splendor and, and holiness, for God to become literally a human being, I mean, some sort of transaction had to happen a little bit. He had to leave some stuff behind, right? All that glory packed into a little baby would, like, blow up or something, And so God has to go through something, and kenosis, again, the Greek word for emptying, and it comes from Philippians chapter 2, which says, Jesus emptied himself to take on the form of a servant. Jesus emptied himself. There was something of his glory that he had to to somehow shift so that he could live this life. And he didn't lose anything of his nature or his character. Obviously, Jesus the man had tremendous power, even over weather and death. So it's not like he lost his power or gave these things up, but there was something of his glory that he was willing to lay aside. He was safe and secure in heaven. Right? He never experienced suffering there. He never experienced anything but the glory and wonder of himself and the worship and adoration of the heavenly host. He left that behind in order to take on this life, to embrace suffering with us, to embrace the difficulty of life alongside us. Jesus emptied, he kenosisd himself. He left it behind. He lays his glory by. He lays his glory aside to some extent, in order to take this step to become like us and to walk with us. And the end of that passage, if you, read, if you read all of Philippians 2, the heart of it is he has done that for you. Now we do that for one another. We be willing to, to empty ourselves. We need to be willing to say, I will give up something for your sake. I can sacrifice for your sake. I can, in order to serve you better, to love you better, to walk with you better, what can I give up? In order to make that happen, we are also called to empty ourselves. And in marriage, that needs to happen. In families, that needs to happen. In churches, in friendships, where we look at each other, and it's not, what do I get or what's in it for me? But how can I kenosis? How can I empty myself for you? Because Jesus was willing to empty himself of a lot. Mild, he lays his glory by. And he does that so he can be born. That man no more may die. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. This was written in 1739, so it's male-dominated language. I apologize for that, ladies. Not just talking about men, obviously. To raise the sons and daughters of earth. And and the Bible says that that is what has happened, that we have been raised up with him. Uh, We have been raised from the dead. We have been raised from our sin. We have been raised up to eternity. The Bible says we are seated in heavenly places with Jesus That if any of us passed away right now, we know that we're there. We've been raised up with him. The sons of earth, the daughters of earth, that's us. Born to give them second birth. It's a phrase that Jesus would use in John 3.3 when he's talking to Nicodemus. He says, you know, walking with Jesus and, and coming to salvation, he says, it's like being born a second time. It's like a second birth. Because again, where we are all born in this state where we want to go our own way, where we want to to wander like a sheep and do the selfish thing and turn away from God and not acknowledge him, there's a change that happens that's so profound that Jesus said it's honestly like being born a second time where all of a sudden you've got a new outlook on life. It's like hitting a reset button. Your sins are forgiven. And now you've got a new understanding of who God is. And you've got a new focus in your life. And you've got new priorities and new willingness uh, to to go the way of God. And, And a new drive to seek after Him and follow Him. It's like you're getting a second chance. It's like you're being born again. And again, you're going to hear some stories tonight of people who have had this experience where God has brought these amazing, cool changes in their lives as they have sought him and followed after him. Jesus came to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. It's the great gift of salvation that he offers to all of us. So hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. We are invited to to hark to this, to listen to this. To, to listen to the proclamation that Jesus is born, to join with them in that song, to worship Jesus as the everlasting Lord, to thank him that he comes to thank him that he laid his glory by, that he comes to raise us up, that he comes to give us another chance, that he comes to walk with us and among us as Emmanuel. And so we have sung this song once already today. I wanted to close by singing it again. And maybe we have maybe some new understanding of some things as we do that. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we get ready to close. And as we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing.
1: Uh, we have a prayer team that's available after service. If you would like to be to come forward to have prayer, uh, there'll be people available. They're trained people that know how to pray with you as well. They'll have lanyards identifying themselves. So we encourage you to come forward. If you want to visit uh, while people are praying, we encourage you to do that in the foyer or down the hallway just so we can create a space where people can come forward and I prayed as well. So we encourage you to do that if you want to get prayed over today. Just as we wrap up this morning, uh, I've got a daughter. Her name is Grace, and she's eight years old. And uh, when we were pregnant, my wife was pregnant, Laura, uh, Grace was being born and it was 30 hours of excruciating labor. I was tired, let me tell you. And uh, we were in the hospital and we we're waiting for Grace to come, and, but we didn't know we were having a, a boy or girl. We just went into it with a surprise. And we were in the hospital and I was sitting there and we were waiting and the final stages of, of, of the delivery was coming. And I went to the bathroom for a minute just to kind of uh, get my thoughts together. And it just felt like a normal day to me. It just felt like a regular day. And I didn't like that. So I went to the bathroom, I shut the door, and I looked in the mirror, and I cried out to God. I said, God, I need you to soften my heart for this child that we're about to have. Because right now, my heart is hard. And it just seems like a normal day. And I didn't like that. And so I just prayed that simple prayer. I came out of the room. And Grace, our daughter, came out and she was born. And as soon as I saw her, my heart broke and I wept. And I was just embracing this young child into our life. And I share that story because as we enter the Christmas season, it's so easy for us to look at baby Jesus the same way. We can't identify, our heart might be hard because we've heard this story for so long. I would encourage you to enter the season. And if that's you and you look at Christmas kind of the same old, same old every year, here we go again. I would encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to come, to soften your heart, to be open to the season. And the reason we celebrate, why we celebrate, is because of Jesus. Because His birth reconciled us to God. And that gives us hope and that should encourage us. So. I hope that encourages you because god can soften our heart just like he did that day for me and as we think about entering the season i encourage you to ask jesus to soften your heart so we can really worship him let's pray together jesus thank you for being born thank you for the life you've given us thank you for the way you allow us to come into your presence which is in our brokenness and and that you accept us and i thank you for everybody that's here today and jesus i ask that you would allow us to have a soft heart towards you as we enter the season as we look at celebrating you as we look at identifying ourselves with the savior of the world And so Lord, I pray that this would be a new revelation this year. There'd be a breakthrough this year for folks that just have a hard heart or just don't understand the reason why we do what we do or we've just gone through the motions for years. I pray there'd be a new revelation, a new uprising in our spirit to understand that Jesus, you are the son of God and your birth matters for the hope of the world. So thank you that you love us, you take care of us. And we pray this week, Jesus, that you'd go ahead of us, prepare us, help us to be witnesses for you in in this world so we can present the gospel so for people that can see that you were alive and that we can offer hope and salvation that comes in the name of Jesus. We're grateful for that. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here again. We're gonna have some prayer time coming up, so I encourage you to go visit in the foyer.